Awesome. And we are live. Uh, welcome. Hello, everyone. Uh, bonjour and bienvenue. This is uh, John F. McDropout, uh, representing the Left Coast Atheists. Um, we're having a, another panel discussion on Euthyphro, um, one of the probably more uh, infamous Socratic dialogues. Uh, and uh, we are uh, going to discuss today, I believe, um, some of the possible solutions and, uh, and, and uh, ways that people have uh, approached discussing uh, getting around the, the, the Euthyphro dilemma. Um, to my uh, immediate uh, left, I believe, um, is Ozymandias Ramses. Uh, he's joined us today. Hello, sir. Hello. Good day. Uh, next to him is a good friend of mine, Gibran Ludwig. Hello, how's it going? Hello, sir. Yeah, sorry about the short intro there. I just uh, I figured people probably know, know you by now. And, uh, and next to him is, uh, is, is a good friend of mine, Epicurious A. Greek. Uh, how's it going, Eddie? Eh, not too bad. Awesome, buddy. Cool. So I'm uh, I'm glad we uh, we all got uh, the time to come together today. Um, it's it seems like it, this is kind of going to be a regular thing, and I think we've been kind of discussing if if there's a possible umbrella name that we might want to uh, to do it under. Um, I I, I kind of I'm mean, I'm hesitant to have this discussion on air, but uh, did you guys have any any thoughts on that? I know I know we've been kind of throwing around the uh, the title philosophers, uh, which I thought was which I thought was pretty fun. Um, but but I know I know we've had some more serious uh, entries also. So did you guys have any suggestions? Uh, well, I, I was thinking that if we do, if we uh, go with a name like Philosopher Friends, we all have to wear superhero outfits. <laughs> oh, that is smart actually. Because we have it has because it sounds like you know some kind of Saturday morning cartoon thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought maybe bookends or something like that. Ah, that's not bad. His other it's suggestion that I liked was uh, something from nothing, which I liked. Uh, Ozzy, Ozzy suggested <laughs> as well. Well, it does seem to be the uh, the way these panels seem to go. Um, we kind of we kind of are creating uh, something out of nothing here, in in we a way. We call ourselves the ex nihilo uh, 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 covenant or something. <laughs> yeah, philosophy ex nihilo. <laughs> Sophia, that's actually pretty good. Sophia X Neolo. Oh. Yeah, Wisdom from that. That's actually pretty good. Well, let's go with that. Let's go with that. All right. <laughs> that's Sophia voice. X Neolo. All right, cool. Well, I think that's I think that'll work for now, anyways. Um, cool. So I, I'll uh, I'll play around with that. Sophia X Neolo sounds sounds like a really good one. Kind of caught all of our attention, I think. So. Cool. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's get into it then. Um, now, did did you guys want to um start with a a brief summary of the youth of dilemma, or do we want to kind of just drop into, um, I, I know Eddie proposed to us uh, three separate solutions that, uh, to, the, to the dilemma that he thought, thought may be uh, alternatives or, or ways of looking at it anyways. Well, we should summarize the, uh, what the dilemma is, just in case someone's tuning in and hasn't seen the first two, um, they should know uh, what, what the youth of dilemma is. Sure, is anyone volunteer? Yeah, I'm a... uh, I'll do it. Awesome. All right. The Euthyphro Dilemma uh, gives the theist an option with two options, neither of which are that savory. The f on the first hand, the theist could say, well, God purely dictates the good. That's the first horn in this case. So whatever God commands is good. Now, under this, the theist would have to um, say, in the cases where, of murder, just the worst kind of situations imaginable, if God gave that the okay and the command, you would have to do it. That would immediately become the new good. Now, the second horn says, ah, but God recognizes the good. For this, you have two problems. On the one hand, if you take this horn, you'd have to say, God has no relationship to morality. Now, at the very, now if this is, doesn't sound bad enough, the theist also has to recognize there is something in the universe that even God obeys. 
So God isn't sovereign over something. Now the theist has to respond by taking either one of these horns, breaking the dilemma with the third horn. He has a he or she has a various amount of options. Well, not various. We have I came up with uh, three options. There could be more out there, but these are the three we're just discussing. If okay. I could just uh, add a little something to that, um, just so that people sort of um, sure. have some way of, uh, uh, of of capturing what these these the, the two horns of the dilemma are. It, it, it's we're of course talking about what makes something good, um, and so the the first horn of the dilemma that Eddie described uh, says that the goodness is is contingent upon God's will or God's nature, God's commands. So that which is good is good because God wills it or orders it or, it or reflects his nature it. or loves it or something like that. And that's sometimes called uh, divine voluntarism. So if we have to give it a name, you know, the, the idea is that, that the goodness issues from God somehow um, and it, it's tied to God and, and his will. Typically uh, it's understood as part of God's will, but it doesn't have to be construed that way. But that, to, just to give it a name, d uh, divine voluntarism is the name that, that's usually given to that in philosophical circles. And the other horn of the dilemma is the one that says that God wills what is good because it is good, as, as Eddie said, uh, and that's sometimes understood as uh, goodness uh, being an independent moral standard. That is, uh, goodness is independent of God himself. So God can report the good to us. He can tell us about what the good is, uh, and He uh, and He does what is good because it is good, uh, but it's not contingent upon His nature. And, and add a little bit more even to that. The stronger form of the dilemma is is just beyond morality. Even defining God. This is this is where I think the, the the dilemma really takes off. If we define God in terms of the good without providing a God independent definition of the good, then we don't know. Uh, we don't we don't know really know what God is if God is just good without a, 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 an extra means of goodness that's that I think is, is even more of a problem but Christianity offers that or, or religious traditions offer that in terms of God's commands we can say oh well God said these things these things are good and therefore these things define what God is but without that uh, if we're just describing God without that exterior thing um, we either, yeah, we, we need to come up with an exterior definition of good for, for our definition of God to be meaningful. Yeah, I wonder if I can explain why that, that, why that won't suffice, why that's inadequate. Um, because it might, people might think, well, what's the problem? The, oh, the problem ahead, is, if, is yeah. if you define God in terms of goodness or define good, good in terms of God, um, you, you run into the, the problem of a tautology. We're asking, the question here is, what is good? What makes something good? What is a good-making property? What makes something good? And if you say, well, something is good because you know, uh, it's part of God's nature or, or God wills it or something like that, but if you say it's part of God's nature, for instance, well, wait, what 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 part of God's nature makes his actions or his will or his instructions or commands good? What is it? And and if you say, well, well, he's just by nature he is good. Well, now you have now what you've you've done is you've essentially argued in a circle. You you have not explained um, goodness at all. You were trying to explain it in terms of some property or quality about God, but then when you get pressed on, well, what what about God's nature is good? And you just say, well. God, God's nature just is good. Well, yeah, but I, I'm trying to understand what good is and what goodness is, and the the promise of of cashing it out in terms of something about God's nature only 
only is going to work if I can understand something about God's nature uh, that answers the question, what is good, not merely appealing to the concept of goodness itself. The concept of goodness itself is what needs explication. Um, so you can you can explain the concept of goodness in terms of something else's nature, but you got to you got to flesh out what that nature is. You've got to say what it is about that nature that makes some commandment or will or preference that God has good. Hope that makes yeah. sense. That no, it does absolutely precisely. Yeah, very very well said. Cool. Well, I, uh, I don't know, uh, but it, was that was all that a, a summary of? Uh, of the dilemma itself, or I mean, we I think we kind of got into a little bit on the solutions also, um, yeah. or where or not the solutions, but the the the, the problems with it. Um, I was I was going to say, um, I mean, if I had to summarize the Euthyphro dilemma, it's um, is the pious uh, is it pious because it's loved by God, or is it loved by God because it is pious? Is I think the you know the the, the essential. Uh, Summary of the of the of the dialogue, right? And it, yeah. and it, it applies to everything, right? It's about it's about the causation of of the goodness, right? Um, does it stem from the deity, or is the deity just recognizing the goodness? Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's the essential question of it, right? That's probably a better summary of the dialogue <laughs> than what we provided. Yeah, because the dialogue is about speaks of piety, but but the the problem applies equally to the concept of good and and and, and goodness. Um, if I could just say one thing, uh, you, you, um, John, you were talking about uh, the, the causality, which way the, the explanation goes. That um, in, in philosophical circles, that's sometimes referred to as the direction of explanation. Which way does the, the explanation run? Does it go from the nature of God to, to goodness, or goodness uh, uh, explains the nature of God? Which way do we go? So it's it, it, it's expressed as direction of explanation, mm -hmm. um, causality. Um, it might not be causality here. These might be conceptual relations, and you're trying to figure out which which concept is somehow logically prior to the other. So you're trying to understand the direction of explanation. Which way should the direction of explanation run? Um, from from God to goodness, or goodness to God, is the is the way it's put. Hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean uh, Socrates kind of kind of uh, points out that uh, Euthyphro is is wrong because um, in his in his statement of of it being holy because it is loved. Um, because he loves it, uh, or how does he put it? I, I believe um, the the best way that he puts it is that is that the 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 state always follows the act and not the act the state, right? Mm -hmm. um, that that the act of being or the act of loving something is is prior to the state of being loved. Um, you can't you can't be in the state of being loved and then have and then that be the cause of the act of loving. That's and I think that that was his point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was I was just trying to uh, steer us away from the word causation here. Ah, um, yes. Right. Uh, it's just it, it's which way does that explanation run? Does it run you know one way or does it run the other? Uh, and, and it's not that causation is wrong. It's that causation is sort of a narrower concept than explanation. A cause is a kind of explanation, and and someone might say, well, maybe this is, the explanation here is not a causal explanation. It's a matter of a conceptual analysis. Which which concept do we understand? as being prior to the other. Do we understand this concept in terms of that concept or that concept in terms of this concept? Which way do we do we understand this conceptual relationship? 
Yeah, um, for example, one could imagine God creating a standard of good that could be used to explain God. So in that sense, God literally is creating the standard, but it is still independent of God. It is, in our, in our, in our conception of God, it can be used to explain God. Um, that, I think, is, is, is an example of why I think we're, we're trying to steer away from the, the word causation here. Just subtle distinction. Sure, and I, I can understand. Yeah, there's there's a little right. bit of there's a little bit of uh, like almost almost contextual loading when you when you use the word causation. There's sort yeah, of sure. there's sort of like a, phys, a physicality that's sort of suggested. And I yeah, I get that. Although causation could cross over into right, exactly. metaphysical, right, which is right. discussion here. Okay, cool. All right. So uh, to go over the three solutions, where do you guys propose to start? Uh, yeah, I was wondering, uh, should we start with the Mawson or or uh, or do you want to um, to kind of go into uh, Epicurus's uh, uh, solutions that he kind of kind of elucidated? Since uh, Mawson is far more rigorous, I suppose we go with mine first. That way, we can just get those out of the way and see uh, what Mawson has to say in in his uh, context. Uh, would that be uh, good with you guys, or any other suggestions? Sure, that's fine with me. That's oh, actually the order. That's actually the order I wrote my notes in. So that'll. <laughs> I'm just gonna start with the one that um, I came that I believe I came up with. I'm pretty sure someone might have alluded to it before that I'm highly unaware of. But yeah, okay. What? Well, yeah, just uh, just uh, I here I, uh, I I've summarized it for you. Um, the oh, first well, solution okay. is fall on the first horn. Um, <laughs> so so that's that's what I wrote down as as the summary of it. So so yeah, go go ahead. Falling on the horn that says that God wills it. Now, on this one, it would essentially be the notion that God, being a creature of necessity, he necessarily exists, it would also transfer over into the fact that his commands necessarily exist. So their command, his commands would never change in any possible world, thus not making them arbitrary. Now, my problems with this one. One, you're not going to be able to have that and a libertarian sense of free will. Maybe a compatibilist one, maybe a determinist one, but if God is necessarily commanding everything he does and in the way he does, then that would, that would essentially mean he's not doing it out of a libertarian free will he could have or he couldn't have. He's determined to do those things. So you can't really have that. And the second problem is it also has to come, well, at least for me, you also have to have an a priori um, reason why. You'd have to prove that God necessarily exists. So you better have an ontological argument on hand, maybe a transcendental argument on hand, one of those. Um, can I can I just be just this is something that was confusing to me when I, I first ran into this argument. Um, right. This is you're you're explaining why he couldn't have said something else is good. Why goodness is not arbitrary. Um, but you're not explaining what goodness is, and that's fine. But just just as just oh, to be it clear, would essentially be identical to what God wills. Yeah. Okay. But but yeah. Sure. 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 That that uh, uh, you're you're but you're not what you're not doing is identifying goodness even even in that sense. I mean, you're 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 saying whatever he wills is good, uh, but you're not necessarily saying everything that he wills, and that's fine. You're just explaining that that it must be, and therefore it is just this one thing. There's you're limited in the arbitrariness of the position. Yeah. Uh, at least I, the arbitrariness causally. You're not you're not necessarily eliminating the the uh, value arbitrariness. It's still it's still arbitrary to me why we would value God's will as being good. That. That is still a question, but but a different that, one. I mean, yeah. that's that's sort of the sense I got from it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I just I, I did feel like it was sort of just an acceptance of an arbitrary notion of good. Um, it, if you if you just accept that good is arbitrary and arbitrary to God's will, then that actually explanation makes perfect sense. Um, I suppose. Yeah, to see the force of uh, of John's ob objection, just imagine that in, instead of of God, you substitute Ozzy. Mm -hmm. You know. 
goodness is you know <laughs> whatever Ozzy says um, you know and then you could be as as accurate and and factual and descriptive as you as you want to be about what Ozzy says uh, well but why should that warrant any claim on anyone's attention so and let's say that it was true in all possible worlds that you know uh, Ozzy always says the same thing he never changes his mind it's never any different it's logically impossible for Ozzy to say other than what he says it would still beggar the question well who gives a damn what Ozzy says? <laughs> you know, why, why should that put put me, you know, uh, that is some other person, uh, under any moral obligation to obey what Ozzy says? Um, so that's the problem with the, the you're you're getting you're you're avoiding a certain kind of arbitrariness. Mm -hmm. That is the kind of arbitrariness where we say, well, couldn't God change his mind and will something else? Mm -hmm. Well, no, he couldn't on your analysis yeah. because in all possible worlds, he always wills the same thing. But that still leaves the question, yeah, but why do we care what he wills? So what if he never changes his mind? You know? uh, yeah, and, and I'd, I'd actually like to, to respond to that in part. Um, I, would, I would argue that any definition of good is, in a sense, arbitrary. Uh, if you choose the utilitarian definition of good and say things that bring people happiness are good, things that bring them suffering are bad, it's still arbitrary. We're still choosing a standard that is arbitrary. What we're really saying is, okay, when I say good, this is what I mean. Um, and I don't have to justify it beyond that. In the same way that if one were to select the God's will as their standard of good, and they, they knew what God's will was, they wouldn't have to justify that, because they're saying, no, 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 no. The term is defined as this within the context of my worldview. When I say something is good, this is precisely what I mean. So it is arbitrary, but I would argue that any conception of good Fair in that enough. sense would be But right. I think this would uh, be where God's other properties might uh, also kick in. For example, exactly, yeah. uh, Ozzy is him. Ozzy, you're not an immortal, right? Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe it might turn out I am. <laughs> okay, let's just let's just. Uh, so far, well, let's, he's, let's just go with the done, radical notion that Ozzy's a mortal, a mortal human being. I think he's eternal, actually. Uh, well, <laughs> this argument. No, 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 no. I know. I'm just joking. Yeah. Go on, go on. Essentially, uh, you'd have to. God would also, out of the property of timelessness, would also say, well, seeing as God always existed, then we'd have to have a definition that always existed. It wouldn't just come in and out of being in the same way that Ozzy himself might because his will is contingent on the fact that he himself is um, around, born. Uh, someone in uh, 2,000 years ago wouldn't think, uh, well, it's basically whatever Ozzy says because, well, Ozzy wouldn't be around for it to be objective. God, on the other hand, spanning from aeon, uh, endlessness to endlessness would always be that matter of fact. So I think we, I think the person could get around by usually substantiating to all these other properties. Now, why, now um, why ought you do something? Well, at the same time, God could command your oughts. Now you so, might say, well, now you might uh, disagree with it, but at the same time, um, the at the same time it would be the at the same time it wouldn't be contingent on this other agent. It would just be contingent on this main timeless agent. So I think the Apologists could argue on these grounds. But... I, there's a problem with that, though, and that is that we're 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 rooting our description of God's will in terms of a book that is not itself something that has always existed, at least in the hands of humans. Mm -hmm. uh, we're 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 learning about God's will through the Bible, uh, but the Bible hasn't always existed. Or, or if we accept the Christian worldview, it has existed, but not necessarily in in the sense that we've always had access to it. Um, and, and that, that kind of undermines that argument. Someone couldn't point to the objective good before then. They didn't know what that, it was. That's true. I, uh, you, on the other I, hand, I could argue, oh, sorry. 
uh, you could also argue the fact that God reveals himself through nature in the same way the Socratics would have. Oh, not the Socratics. Uh, in the same way that someone who might, in the same way a deist might just say, well, there, well, there's this God who eternally created everything, and because we, as humans, can reason, we can understand his will. Well, something along these lines. Well, okay, we could also argue that because Ozzy's existence is non-contingent, that we could, we could learn about him through learning about reality. Uh, he is a necessary feature of our reality, uh, well, and as such, simply by learning about reality, simply by learning about the laws of physics, we could learn to predict his behavior, and therefore from that, learn about what the good is. Yeah, so, here's, here's the thing, though. Uh, in order to call something necessary, we'd have to, we'd have to make a good, solid argument that there is never a possible world wherein such a being could uh, not have existed. Uh, for, exa uh, for example, uh, if I could come up with a possible world wherein Ozzy or I or you didn't exist, then it follows that that possible world would not have ex existed. On the other hand, um, th and this is where an ontological argument might come into place, you'd, by presupposing God through pure prior knowledge, you'd also have it that there is no possible world wherein he doesn't exist. Well, I would argue... I, uh, to, oh, sorry, Ozzy. Uh, if you want to... You, you, sorry, go on. <laughs> well, I just want to... Uh, there's a uh, what I think might be a, a conceptual con, uh, confusion here where we're, um, we're, we're sort of leaving the Euthyphro di dilemma in one respect. Um, uh, Gibran, you, you, you raised the argument, the objection, well, you know... Uh, the, uh, the knowledge of God, for instance, comes to us from the Bible, but the Bible hasn't always existed, or at least it hasn't always been available, uh, available to us. Uh, available to us uh, um, so this presents a problem, but that would be a problem of moral epistemology, how you find out, right? No, and what I we're agree. concerned with is, is, is yeah, what makes something good, not how you would know. So, uh, And this is really important for these discussions yeah. because this discussion of the Euthyphro Dilemma has nothing, and I mean nothing, to do with how you know what you ought to do, what is good, or anything like that. We're not even considering that. We're considering what makes something good. Why, how, how could something constitute goodness? What, what makes something good? What is a good-making property? So that's what we want to understand, and, and the reason I'm emphasizing this is that so many times when people discuss this subject, an objection that they will bring up is, yeah, well, how would you know what God thinks and what, what, what God, God wills? Well, we're not discussing that. That's a, that. That is a fine question, but it is a separate question. And, you know, w what we're trying to answer now is a prior question. Um, can it be the case that what goodness consists of is God's commands or what God wills or God's preferences or, you know, whatever? Whatever, uh, along those lines, or you know, or a reflection of God's nature. Uh, so we want to understand what is a good making property, what makes something good, not how we know something is good. That is a, that is an important question, but it is a separate question, and it is not a question that we can even begin to answer until we have at least sorted out what we mean by good, and that's the, what we're trying to get at here. I absolutely understand that. I'm sorry. I brought that up in response to the point that that we could not have known what was good from you uh, until you existed. That yeah. was I was we were getting off track. I do apologize. I, no, no, I don't apologize. No, you, you you weren't you weren't you weren't going off. You weren't going down a rabbit trail. I, but anybody listening to this is not sure. going to necessarily see. I know you see the di distinction, but other people aren't, aren't necessarily going to see the distinction or remember that we raised this dis this distinction in the last video. Uh, the, oh, sorry. The, there was one other point I wanted to make, uh, if I could. Oh, absolutely. Go on. 
it was just in uh, it, this was in connection with what uh, uh, Eddie said about uh, necessity. The objection is, look, you're, the Aussie example. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have used myself, but um, Fair but 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 the you know goodness is what uh, what Aussie wills is not a a, a, a good counter. Um, uh, Eddie argues because well, Aussie is not a necessary being. He's not you know he's not timeless. He's not eternal. There's no necessity in in, in what his uh, preferences are. Um, <clears throat> that's perfectly true. Uh, so let's let's say okay well okay well God presumably let's let's say just by definition let us simply stipulate that God is eternal um, and uh, a necessary being He is logically necessary let's let's grant that mm -hmm. the problem here is not the necessity um, uh, of, of God it's it it has to be that His commands are morally necessary. It's the moral. It's 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 metaphysical necessity is not moral necessity. The fact that God is, let's say, metaphysically necessary, that it is that it is metaphysically and logically impossible for God to not exist. Let's let's grant that. That doesn't it doesn't follow from that that his commands um, uh, have to be obeyed. And so Eddie said, well, then maybe there's a command. Uh, that says that you have to God commands that you have to obey him but wait a minute if if I am beholden to God's commands only because he has issued the command thou shalt obey me thou shalt obey thy Lord thy God let's say that God issues that command why should I obey that command well then you need a meta command thou shalt obey the Lord thy God when he says obey you know, and so you end up in a in a in a logical regress, an infinite logical logical regress here. It's not a causal regress that that potentially could go on forever. This is a logical regress. The same question is beggared over and over again. Why should I obey that? So if someone says, and by the way, this isn't this isn't uh, an issue only for the when you're talking about God. Uh, if anyone says this is the authority on which you should act, you can always ask the question. Well, wait a minute. Who says I have to obey that authority? Right, so it's not just about God. This is this is a question of authority in general. If someone says you have to obey this authority, says who? Well, the authority says you have to obey him. Well, why do I have to obey him? Because he says he's the authority. You know, is there some other authority? Yeah, he issued another order. Yeah, but on whose authority do I have to follow that as an authority? Says who? In other words, you can always, you can literally always uh, counter with, well, says who? What is the reason why I have to obey the command that says you have to obey all the other commands? Um, so you need a moral argument, presumably, for why you have to. I also want to make one small note. Um, it was about the the concept of a necessary being. Um, I I would I would argue the, the the that description of a necessary being. I mean, maybe that's what we're going with a logically necessary being that it has to exist in every possible world. But I don't think that that is a useful definition of the term. Um, it, it, even if we're talking about logically self-consistent possible worlds, what is to stop a world? that does not need to be logically self-consistent from not containing your God, uh, or not containing your God and containing your God, uh, or any other contradiction. Um, it, it, I mean, sure, let's, let's grant that we're just talking about logically self-consistent realities. Um, even then, um, does it... I, 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 I don't think that you're... you're I mean, maybe, maybe I'm, 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 I'm just new to philosophy in the sense that I don't understand that the term is used this way, but when I said logically necessary in our reality, I meant if if you take any given uh, any previous uh, instance in our reality it would have to lead to Ozzy. that's what i meant that 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 
there you could never have gotten not Aussie from any previous state in the universe. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I I may have misused the term. Uh, I may I may not understand the term well, but that is what I meant. So I I do apologize. That's what I was referring to. In our universe, he was always logically necessary. But but sorry, that is getting off track again. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Eddie. When I mean when you when you brought up this argument, you said um I I mean, I, I kind of wrote it shorthand, so I may have gotten this this quote wrong. Um, you said that um all possible realities without God are incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Um, and God exists in all co- possible comprehensible worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, if the commands of God exist in all comprehensible worlds, they will not be arbitrary because there is no possible world where God could will otherwise. Uh, and I, that was that was where I I, I lost your argument there. Um, it, it, just because it, um, it seems like you're equating God with comprehensibility, right? Um, and so just as long as the world is incomprehensible, there is no God in it. Um, is that is that the is that the idea? Um, or or is comprehensibility the limits of God's uh, ability, and He just can't work outside of comprehensibility? Well, usually in terms of what is considered a quote unquote possible world, um, usually there are possible worlds where there are, uh, for example, logical contradictions where something, um, for example, where a equals A, but at the same time, it is not itself. Uh, such worlds would be considered, by the fact that they're illogical, non-existent, or could never exist, and thus not worth contemplation. Uh, usually, at least as far as uh, at least as far as I know, uh, to posit a logical, a possible world where nothing logically makes sense would be uh, wouldn't be possible even in the first place. Well, it wouldn't uh, be possible with the standards of logic, certainly, but. If you were to give give up those standards for, for positing the world, then there would be no problem. Um, but and anyway, that, go on. I, I understand. Debate, and that's a debate on its own. But uh, for the it's sake different, of different but for the sake of this purpose, I'm just going to sure. assume the standard, even though I I'll agree that we well, can assume logically self consistent. Yeah, but, so that we can possibly debate about it. But I think Ozzy brings up the best uh, refutation of this idea, at least with meta commands in terms of on whose authority. Well, why should I obey that? Uh, at least to my knowledge right now, I can't think of a reply, so I, I'll i even include that in one of my uh, in, uh, one of my own objections as well, at least as far as I know. Um, oh, sorry. No, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I mean, I'm still a little confused about um, comp, uh, the, the comp, like, I mean, if God is being posited as uh, the reason that reality is comprehensible, um, doesn't doesn't that um, eliminate God as the author of the goodness? Um, it's it seems to me, yeah, or or the comprehensibility, the like in the same way, he's not the author of himself; he just is himself. Um, so I think John, what he's essentially arguing is is to use a, a bit from the presuppositionalist argument, where he demonstrates that logical self consistency is not possible without God, or specifically that the proposition "not God" leads to self contradiction. I would assume, but correct me if I'm wrong, Epicurus. That's um, what you're. Usually, uh, usually in terms of positing God a priori and and, necess- and necessary, then yes, it would be like saying. Of a possible world where there is no such thing as two, and well, such a two mathematical concepts such as uh, two plus two equal four, uh, these would also have to be true in 
all boss worlds, it's a piece of logic. Yeah, I understand, but but what I'm saying is the reason you get there is through the transcendental argument where you argue that if you assume not God, then you get logical inconsistency. Is that is that what you're you're arguing? Is you're you're saying, well, we'll use a transcendental argument oh, no. to get there. Of course, we're pre. Well, yeah, of course. That's what the that's what we're presupposing for the sake of the argument. Yeah, we're we're assuming that there's a transcendental argument there. Yeah. Yeah, a transcendental or ontological. It has to be made. Uh, if you'd have to posit God's existence without referencing the world itself. But rather... I don't think an ontological argument would work, though. I think that only the transcendental argument would do what you're asking for, because you're asking specifically for the kind of God that you uh, cannot have in comprehensibility without. I don't think the ontological one necessitates that in its definition, though. Uh, uh, the uh, I think something along the lines of uh, an ontological argument positing uh, possible world semantics would, uh, uh, such as planting us, because that would also substantiate that God is... Um, would come out of logical necessity as well as mathematical equations. Two plus two equals four would be true in lieu of any possible world that one would come up with. Could mm. I introduce uh, something here, or not introduce something, but, but sort of explain something that uh, that might be puzzling to anybody who's watching this? Um, uh, one, one thing that might puzzle some people is, well, why on earth are you sort of positing this this God who has these attributes, timeless existence, and uh, you know, the and uh, necessary existence and all of these things. Why? Why is that? How could you possibly be allowed to do that? What we're doing here is we're 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 saying, look, we're trying to figure out if there's any way by positing a god, any kind of god, to get goodness out of that concept, out of that definition, without trivially defining God as good. Right, because it's goodness we're trying to explain. So to say God is good doesn't tell me anything about goodness. It tells me something about God. And if I understand goodness, then I've learned something about God. But if I'm trying to understand goodness, I need to understand something about God that will tell, will inform me about the concept of goodness. So what we're trying to do here is we're saying, okay, let's 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 work out any conception of God. Any everything is on the table. You can posit and stipulate anything you want about God, and then. If, if with that we can say, okay, if that thing exists, then we understand goodness, then we've gotten somewhere. Mm -hmm. But if, if you posit, if you're allowed to posit anything about God, um, and despite that, you still can't understand the concept of goodness, well, then you've got a real problem because, I mean, really, you've, you've said, look, I'm, I'll give you whatever you want um, except defining God um, as good in a trivial way. You know, if I can give you all of that and you still can't get it, then 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 there's a real problem. So it, it is important that we actually allow a person who wants to make this argument, who wants to go with this horn of the dilemma, you, that you give them free reign and and then see. And then if they can do it, well, then you can say, okay, well now is there any reason to think that such a god exists? But bef but we don't even have to beggar the question, does such a god exist? Mm -hmm. We can just say, go with it, run with it, make whatever assumptions you want about God. The only thing you can't assume is merely something stipulative like God is good, because good is what we're trying to understand. It, it, whatever your definition of good of God has to be independent from your definition of good. Um, and and if if your definition of God explicates the concept of goodness, then you have achieved your your mission. Now we can uh, try to understand whether such a God exists and has those properties. But but before that, we don't have to do that. We just need to let the person run with it. So that's why we're entertaining what, for some viewers, are, is going to seem like wild speculations. To to be per, to be a little bit more precise, there, um, what we cannot do is define the property that we're proposing 
of God that explains good in terms of the good. We can right. we can define every other property of God in terms of the good, but we cannot define whatever particularly we're talking about that we're going to use to explain the good. Otherwise, our definition of good is utterly circular and just useless. Right, right. Okay. Much, so much more succinct. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, uh, do we do we feel like we want to talk more about this uh, this argument, or you want to? Does everyone feel like we want to move on, or what? Um, I'm good yeah. myself. I, think. I mean, I I'm just I'm having I'm I'm still having a little bit of trouble with it, but um, I, I think it's only the idea that um. That uh, the comprehensibility—that's the word I keep—I keep coming back to. I mean, if it—if—if if the world is not comprehensible without God, then why is God described as incomprehensible? I don't think God is in this case. Um, no. I. So he would be—he'd be fully comprehensible then. No, uh, not even. I mean, not, neither neither is true. What what essentially, uh, John? It's it's the exact same thing that we're dealing with in the presuppositionalist argument, where they 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 presuppose. God does not exist, and then they assume these other things about reality, and then they demonstrate a contradiction. I mean, hypothetically. I'm not saying they succeed in this, but, but this is basically the same argument. This this argument either presupposes that, or, or as Epicurus says, a certain kind of ontological argument. Um, so I, I agree with you that that argument has not been made, uh, but I don't I don't think we have to worry about it yet. Uh, let's 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 just grant it because uh, sure. I, yeah, I, no, I'm I'm fine with that. I I suppose that's that's my sticking point. But I'll. Uh... But no, I I agree. That is something that if if this argument were being made to me, um, and the rest of it, I think were, were was really strong. That's where it would stick with me as well. So. Sure. I, yeah, no, I think it'll probably come up here again anyway. So. Not to you. I th I just thought I'd put that on the table for discussion. And I, and I think we handled it pretty well. All yeah, right, no, uh, absolutely. Glad you put it up. Cool. Uh, argument two. I'm gonna say that this is perhaps the one I go with even though I might recognize some uh, flaws mostly out of the outcome, and that might not be too tangible uh, for other theists. I, I tend to stick to this one. Essentially, um, this one would go uh, this. God is the good. Not, not in terms of God is good, but he is the nature of... But, he, but God, in terms of what he is, is perfectly identical with what is considered... What, uh, Plato would consider to be his the good. Now, what would this m mean as an outcome? Uh, for example, if Socrates were to ask me, huh, does God love something for because it is good, or is something good because God loves it? To me, I'd say it would bring the same as saying, does the good love the good because it is good, or is the good good because the good loves it? It would follow along these situations. Now, here's the outcome that you guys could use. It would entail what's known as divine simplicity. The doctrine of divine simplicity is this. God has no parts. In theology, the doctrine of divine simplicity, thank you, John, says that God is without parts. The general idea is that God can be stated this way. The being of God is identical to the attributes of God. In other words, such characteristics like omnipotence, goodness, eternity, are identical to God's being, not qualities that make up that being, nor abstract entities inheriting God as a substance. That essentially that's essentially what the doctrine entails because um, because we'd be merely speculating on the aspects as opposed to specific properties. So that's it's really hard to uh, defend on a metaphysical level. Even Alvin Plantinga, who's a metaphysician extraordinaire and recognized as such among both theists and atheists, he um, he rejected this idea 
as being incomprehensible. I personally uh, affirm it because I'm fairly comfortable with what's known as ap um, apathetic theology uh, or negative ne theology. Negative but, theology, yeah. yeah. Essentially describing God by what he is not as opposed to what he is. This, it's not something that's too palatable in uh, Western circles, but for me, it gets the job done. Uh, what are your opinions on this? Um, my view, well, I have uh, a problem with uh, what's going on here with uh, defining God um, as being identical with the good. When, when, when we say this is that, when we say, you know, A is B, there's two senses of of that use of the word is. Um, if I say this glass is full, uh, well, it's not full, but it, you know, it has some scotch in it. Um, uh, I'm not saying that the you know the fullness uh, of of the glass is the glass. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying of the glass, it has the property of fullness. If I say that this shirt is plaid, which it is, um, I'm not saying that the shirt and plaid are identical things. No, a shirt is a shirt and plaid is plaid. They're two different things, but I'm saying of this shirt that it has the quality or attribute of being plaid. Uh, now, that's called the is of predication. You are predicating, you are attributing a quality, one quality, to another thing. So we can say Aussie is male um, and Aussie is Canadian, uh, you know, but you know, I am not maleness, and I am not Canadianness. Uh, I am attributing maleness and Canadianness to me. I so think that's Don the curious Canadianness. Uh, yeah, no, I would challenge that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope right, not. So. I hope not. Uh, yes, let us let us hope not. Um, um, <laughs> he and his white collars. Um, that's an inside joke for people who. Uh, People won't get that outside of Canada, probably. Oh, no. You've got to be a hockey maniac to, to know who Don Cherry is, I think, outside of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, there's, there's the use of is as a cop, as a, as a is of predication, where you connect one idea to another thing, where you attribute one concept to another. But then there's the is of identity, um, where you define, you say, you know, uh, what's a good definition? I can't think of one off the hand. Uh, you know, um, you know, a meter is, and then you give the definition of a meter, you know, some length or something like that. A meter is however long, you know, a hundred, uh, what is it, a thousand cent, hundred cent, what is it, a thousand? Good grief, how long is a meter? Um, a meter is a hundred centimeters? It's a hundred centimeters, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, and a kilometer is a thousand meters, okay. Right. Those are definitions, okay. Now those are... Uh, so we, we do that all the time. A definition is always a kind of identity. You're ad identifying one thing with an, another thing. You're identifying a, a, a concept or a meaning with uh, a word. Uh, so we, we, we do this all the time, and that, that's perfectly okay. And, and it's okay in this context to say, all right, God is goodness. Well, so that's got to be the, the, the is of identity, right? You are, you are identifying. You're saying the two things are the same thing. But what that means is that anything that is a property of identity is a property of God, and everything that is a property of God is uh, uh, sorry. Anything that is a property of goodness is a property of God, and anything that is a property of God is a property of goodness. Uh, they they are one and the same. They are identical. Now, there's a principle in 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 logic and in philosophy called the the indiscernibility of identicals and the identity the identity of indiscernibles. Any two things that are identical have to share all in every property. Um, and if any two things share all in every property, 
they are the same thing. Uh, so if you're going to use identity, this is sort of, you know, the, you know, when you say two things are identical, you're saying A is A. You're saying both these things are the same thing. They're just, we just name them two different things. So God and goodness are just two names for the same thing. But what that means is that goodness has certain properties. Uh, goodness is the creator of the universe. Goodness created the universe. Oh, wait, not, not God. Goodness is triune. Right, the triune God of Christianity. Um, you know, goodness. Um, well, what's another attribute of it? Is omnipresent. Good, really, goodness is omnipresent. Uh, goodness is uh, eternal. Uh, you know, goodness um, has a mind. Uh, goodness has a will. You know, well, that's just not the meaning of goodness, right? That might be the source and cause of goodness, but that's not the meaning of goodness. When I say, "Wow, I love that. That's that was a good deed." That, I'm not saying that that act was God. That's not what I'm saying. So I think that you know the identity here is, 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 is going to fail because God clearly has properties that goodness does not have and I so mean, they cannot be identical. Does that make sense? Exactly and this is why the theist has to take on divine simplicity if she or he wants to make sense of that argument. But I, I'm not even sure it solves the problem then. Um, you would basically be saying that, that the, the problem with this is that to say that I did something good would then be somewhat meaningless because it would be to say I did something that was God. God's actions. Uh, it, is, it, it, it totally goes against our conception of good, our vague, ill-defined conception of good, but, but our conception nonetheless. Um, that is to say every action that is good is God's action. So if I do something good, really God is just doing something good. Uh, you can define God as being the good, but to assign these other properties, to assign any of these other properties, just throws off all of our, our, our linguistic intuitions about the concept. It, it, it means that whenever we're describing it, it it just makes our conception of good no longer make sense. We might as well be talking about something else. It, it's a little a little bit worse than that even because it's not even God's action to say that such and such a a thing is is a good action or a good deed. Um, yeah. It, it it's not to say that that this is God's action. It's to say that it's God because <laughs> yeah. goodness is not being identified with God's actions or will. Mm -hmm. It's being identified with God Himself or God's nature. I meant that in the non-identity. I meant that in the non-identity kind of is sense, which is to say, goodness is a property of this action. Uh, which is oh, sense. I see. Okay. It is, I think we yeah. might be. I think there might be a bit of confusion because we're not thinking about it platonically. In terms of how the Platonists would have thought of it, they would have thought, okay, there is um, in the same way that uh, I have a Kindle right here. The Platonists would subscribe. Well, there must be a format that that represents the pureness of. What it means to be a Kindle, and the properties that, and the form of the Kindle itself draws from that great Platonic form. So the prop, so these forms exist out there in this Platonic heaven. So in that same way, when we say an action is good, it would be, uh, I yeah. think it would be just like the, you were describing with the glass. It wouldn't be well, the glass wouldn't be fullness, but rather, um, it participates rather, in fullness. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, but I mean, draws property in terms of that respect. But no Platonist would argue that the good, the form of the good, is also an omnipotent being. This is the problem, is that we're, we're trying to have it both ways. We're both having Platonism well, and, and Christianity. Yeah, uh, I was just, just going to say, I mean, um, a, a Platonist would, would have a, a realm of forms that they're proposing, but I, I think they also found, I think uh, 
Plato also found it necessary to propose another realm where the gods would exist because they couldn't they couldn't be simultaneously the same thing um, or or exist uh, in that in the same in the same way. Um, now, when I, when I heard this device, um, I I kind of I kind of assumed that it was going to be more of uh, an analogy, uh, an analogous way of, of thinking of good. Because, um, I mean, when he described it, he said, um, when we're relating something as to whether it is good or bad, we are judging that act, object, or idea as more or less like God. Um, so in that way, God becomes like a, a comparison tool. Um, he's, he's almost like a, an ultimate standard, right? Um, right. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's, I think that's where I had had the problem, right? I mean, it's... In what way is God analogous to goodness, right? Um, since he's not a property of the of the thing we're talking about, um, mm -hmm. but he's a subjective label that's applied after the occurrence, right? I mean, it, our observation is what allows us to make the judgment as to whether something is good or bad, right? Um, it, we have to. Less, he would be more or less an objective label in this situation. Um, a th the essence of a thing would be would have some kind of reality to it in the play in the more classical thought. Uh, uh, for example, um, the notion of essence as would essentially translate what it means to be the thing. In this scenario, God is, as Paul Tillich would say, the ground of all being or um, being in definition. God is the essence of what it means to be. He isn't a being, like in a chain where you have uh, rocks, then worms, then you have uh, animals, then humans, then you have God, like at the very top above angels uh, at the chain. God is the ex God doesn't exist within that line, but he exists as the definition of being. He is what it means to be, he is the, what it means to be the being or thing. In that kind of sense, God is the God is not uh, God is the standard in terms of if I say well Edward is being good well he's them essentially would mean I Edward would be more would be getting in tune to that definition or that essence that exists out there in the platonic heaven as opposed to me having a property of the good it, it might help I mean, I mean my property of the good drawing upon that uh, definition it might help if, if we explain a little bit about what this idea of platonic forms, because some people are not going to know what that means. Fair enough. Um, sure. Ozzy, before you do, um, uh, sure. one of our viewers, Andrew Clark, has noted that a meter in is the distance traveled by light in a vacuum in one three hundred uh, millionth of a second. Uh, nice. So, so that that is the actual definition of of a meter. That that is the new definition of meter. I can remember when a ma a meter was defined as a scratch in a platinum iridium bar that was sitting somewhere in yeah, a museum right. or something in France, in Paris. Uh, in the Systems <laughs> International, uh, like, official Bureau of Units or something like that, yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they changed it, um, but anyway, yeah. Well, it was originally it was conceived as uh, uh, a measure, like, they measure the, the, the circumference of the Earth, and then they said uh, it's, it's like one... You know, 100 millionth or something like that of the of the circumference. That's going to be a meter. They wanted to connect the meter. So originally, it was defined in terms of some function of of some 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 part of a, of a measure around the Earth, and then they needed uh, an object that they could refer to. So they used that scratch. And now they and then for a while it was like a frequency of a crystal vibrating. And that and now it's it's what this something about the distance of the speed of light in the, the vacuum. Yeah. yeah. The problem is 
it turns out that pretty much everything that we've defined it as is changing. The, the Earth is changing in size very subtly. Um, the, the iridium bar changes in size. Uh, light, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> well, actually, this ties in very nicely with the point I was going to make about forms. And, and thank you, Andrew Clark, for uh, for contributing that uh, that definition. Um, Okay, platonic forms. There, there's this, there's this problem um, in in philosophy that, that goes way back, uh, well, to Socrates and Plato, uh, in a dialogue called Parmenides. Um, there's this, this, this comes out. Um, the, you, we see objects in the world that we call them particulars. There are, there's a particular chair. There's another particular chair. There's the chair I'm sitting in. There's the chair that Eddie is sitting in. There's the chair that Ron is sitting in. There's the chair in somebody's office. These are all chairs. But if you look at them. No two chairs are exactly identical, uh, not exactly identical, and even two chairs that are made to look as uh, identical as possible are going to differ in some, you know, uh, respects. But try to try to define what a chair is. Oh, a chair is something that has a seat and a backrest and four legs. Okay. Well, what about a bar stool? Oh, well, it doesn't have a backrest and doesn't have legs. Is that still a chair? Yeah, I guess it's still a chair. No, it's a stool. Okay, so forget that one. Okay. Well, what about a wheelchair? It doesn't have any legs. Is that a chair? Well, no, that's a special kind of chair. Okay, well, let's get rid of that one. Okay. Well, what about your office chair? Oh, well, it has a doesn't have four legs. It's got a pedestal, and then it's got these things go out, and it's got these little caster wheels. Okay, and and it doesn't necessarily have a backrest. Is it still a chair? Um, you know, and then you keep going. You keep trying to define chair in terms of its physicality, and you can always find something that that we would call a chair that we would recognize as a chair. It doesn't fit the definition, and you just keep going. You keep revising your definition, and then you can try to define a chair functionally. Well, chair is something that you sit on. Oh, okay. Well, what if I make a snowball and I sit on that? Is that a chair? Well, I'm, I'm using a snowball as a chair, but a snowball is not a chair, right? Uh, I, I can sit on my dog. You know, <laughs> that doesn't make my dog a chair, right? So if you can't even define a chair functionally. There's like, okay, well, let's try to define a chair in terms of function and form. Uh, you can keep doing. You can do that, but then you can always find, um, you know, uh, exceptions. You can always find exceptions. You can. So no matter what definition you come up with, you will always find that your definition either includes too many things that you wouldn't want to call a chair, or your de your de definition is just a little too strict and narrow, such that we're excluding things that we would want to call a chair. So this is the problem. When you look at all these particulars, you can't seem to come up with this concept of a chair. What the heck does, what does the concept chair refer to, and how are we able to recognize these particular things as chairs, given how different these things are in terms of form and function? I mean, there are some. I mean, I could make a chair the size of a skyscraper that nobody could sit on, and we would we'd probably still call it a chair, <laughs> even though it would need a giant to sit on it. So there are these problems. How do we recognize these things? And so Plato came up with this idea. And it, it applies to goodness, it applies to chairs, it applies to maleness, it applies to you know all kinds of concepts. Any concept that is a general concept uh, to which there are particulars that we would identify as belonging to under that concept, there must be a form. There must be some other realm, some other... Uh, there's got to be an entity that is the chair the chair, the form of the chair, and all of the particular chairs that we see here, that we recognize as chairs, what's happening is we're recognizing a, a, a similarity between the particulars that we see and the form of the chair. And to understand chairness is to recognize and understand the form of the chair, and the chair has to exist in some other realm, otherwise we wouldn't be able to to, to do the to accomplish these acts of recognition, how do we distinguish a chair from a table, from a dog, from from maleness, 
uh, from citizenship, all these concepts, we, we distinguish these things somehow. How do we do it? Plato's answer to that question was that we, there are these forms. To make and, one uh, tiny... thinks this idea is um, unpopular anymore. There's a minority of philosophers that do still hold on to that. And to give you an example of someone who is pretty much uh, someone who I would consider to be very plat uh, platonistic is the Canadian philosopher John Leslie. Yeah, a number of mathematicians subscribe to the concept of forms in connection with numbers. They think that their numbers must be real. There must be a form of number. Exactly. But Gibran wanted wanted to uh, to tighten up what I was uh, was going to say. Uh, there was just one one small thing there. Um, you say that this is impossible to do. Um, but let's be clear. Rather, it is impossible. It is yet to be done that we have demonstrated that there can be a clear definition of a chair. Just one yeah. tiny thing there. I, we could also, and it has also yet to be demonstrated that it's impossible. Uh, yeah. Or so this is still an open question, but it's one where people have failed for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. The, the reason actually that, that this makes a difference, so and what Plato's answer would likely be is, look, if we don't have the definition, the definition can't be how we're doing it. If, if nobody can name the definition of a chair, no one can, uh, can name the necessary and sufficient conditions for how we identify chairs as chairs, clearly such a definition cannot be operative in us. That cannot be how we recognize chairs. Therefore, how we recognize chairs to be chairs as opposed to being dogs. Um, so clearly there has to be some other explanation. It can't rest on the definition. So the account of how we recognize these things has to rest somewhere else, and he posits this otherworldly realm of the forms. And the, the, why, the reason that any of this matters is because um, uh, there can be a form of the good. Everything that is a good action, everything that is a right action, that is a moral action, that is an approvable action, that is a recommended action, they, these are all actions, however varied and different they may be, from you know saving uh, uh, someone's life by running into a burning building and saving them to donating to charity to doing a kindness for a, for a, a friend to you know whatever dying for your country whatever you think is good the only thing that, co that 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 these have in common is that they participate in the form of the good um, and and that's where uh, this is this concept is coming from uh, so go ahead oh so and, and, and the reason that this is incompatible, I think, with Christianity is that the forms are the things that we attempt to emulate by acting. They're not things that themselves act. When we do something, we're attempting to emulate the form of the good or the form of the just. When we build a chair, we're trying to emulate the form of the chair. But the form of the chair does not work through us to do this or create things or itself have a mind or, or is anything other than just the form of the chair. That is all that it is. Um, and that's why I think we're rejecting this is that the problem is if you, if you both define something in terms of the form of something and then you say, well, the form also does these other things, it, has, it is no longer a form. It is something else. Um, and, and as such... The form part of it is only a part of it. Uh, that's why I think that the divine simplicity thing is is it's 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 not it's not coherent because to say it is both the form of something and an aspect of it. Um, clearly, it clearly because Plato could say, well, here's the form of the good. Not that he could tell you what it was, but he he can describe the form of the good as something independent from a being that acts. A being that acts, it, 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 even if it is also the form of the good the form of the good is only an aspect of that being because acting is not a necessary part of the form um, and, and so we could we could say that God contains these forms but then we would have to point to what part of God 
is this form. We cannot just say God is this form and then be done with it. Uh, at least I would argue that's the case. May I raise one other small objection? Oh, sure. Um, it might, it, well, it, how small it is depends on, uh, it's small to me, but it might, it might not be so small to a theist, for instance. Um, to say that God uh, is goodness, identical with goodness, uh, means that goodness is not a property of God. Um, you know, I can perform an action that is good, <clears throat> and so goodness can be a property of that action. Pardon me, <clears throat> but goodness can no longer be a property of God if God is goodness itself, and goodness is God itself. If they are, if they are identical, well, that that means is literally you cannot say of God that He is good. You can only say of God that God is goodness. But it would it would be wrong to say God is good. It would be literally false to say God is good. Yeah, actually, God is God in that case. Because you'd be saying God is God when you say God is goodness. Um, you could say it, but it's tautologous. It's, it's just, tautologous, yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, so, I mean, in other words, it would be it would be as right to say uh, of God that he, he he's good. Oh, you know, why 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 should you worship God? Oh, well, because he's so good. No, no, that's what you couldn't say. That's precisely what you could not say. You could only say. You should worship God because God is God. Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, but if you wanted to say God is good, really what you should would be saying, literally, is God is God. Um, but what does it mean to say that God is God? It's like saying this glass is this glass. It's to say nothing. It's to tell me nothing about it, right? Sure. Um, so when we when a person says God is good, under this conception of of goodness, defining goodness in terms of of, of God and, and vice versa. To say that God is good is to literally utter nonsense. It is, it is not even to say nothing. It is to say, it is not even to mean anything. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that's a, that would be a problem. It wouldn't be a problem for me, but I mean, for a theist who, who is inclined and would like to, 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 to praise God by saying that he is good, this concept is, is going to present some problems. But I mean, you uh, might have an answer to that, actually. I, um, actually, uh, Andrew and Clark has a... Has a has a kind of uh, topical question here. I just thought I might bring it in uh, just to maybe spice it up here. Um, it, he asks, um, "Is good meaningful in itself? As I could be a good psychopath, is that a positive quality or merely merely a value judgment of how it coheres to an ideal or concept? Is good just close to closest match? Uh, like just probably he probably just means is, is it just the the closest match to to what we to what we think of as good?" Um, and I, I, I kind of wanted to bring that up. Um, in this, I mean... Um, good question, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you describe it as when we're relating something as good or bad, that's when we're, that's when we're actually judging whether it's more or less like God. Um, and to yeah. me, I mean, that, that's a very subjective uh, oper operative uh, definition of good, right? I mean, where you're, you're going imp imp uh, to imprint your own decision of whether that's good or bad and then say that is the the attribute of God. And it's not necessarily wrong, but it, you may only be describing the at, uh, a single attribute of that God uh, that is good. You may not be describing the the goodness uh, or or the the totality of that of that goodness uh, being being in that God. Uh, am, I, am I coming through clearly there? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's it, a... it actually his that comment actually reminds me of a funny G.K. Chesterton quote where he says, "It's." Uh, the word good is very to talk. Uh, we equivocated a lot. If I know of a man, I if I know of a man who shot his grandmother at 500 yards, I should say he's a good shot. I shouldn't say he's a good person. 
Yeah, that's the distinction between the, the moral use of good um, and, and other uses of, of good. Um, when we, the word good has a lot of uses. Um, so, you know, when I say, you know, oh, good shot, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, speaking of uh, morality at all. I, I, I'm merely talking about um, how, how closely you, you, uh, you, you match some ideal. Um, with respect to marksmanship uh, there, but I'm not talking about morality at all. I, I, that's not, I'm not necessarily recommending the action, for instance. Mm -hmm. to, I think yeah. to, to, okay, so, so we say you're a good shot, what we're saying is you're close to the ideal of what it is to shoot something, which is to shoot something accurately and precisely. Mm -hmm. We're talking about good in this sense, we're saying how close you are to the ideal of goodness. So right. we're using it in two different senses, but one more say you're doing a good job at being good, that was a good, good thing, which is to say you were close to the good. That's kind of what we're talking about. We're not talking about being good. We're talking about the good. We're talking about what goodness means rather than, than that other version of good, which is to say the closest to an ideal. We're actually talking about one of those ideals. Yeah, we're um, talking about a certain kind of ideal, the moral ideal. So really, whenever we talk about good and goodness here, we should, I mean, if we were, if we were explicit, we would be always qualifying it with the word moral. Moral goodness, yeah. morally good, and, and, and things like that. Um, so, but that, that's a really excellent question because... And that, and that usually tends to be the problems with words in general, like... Well, I could say I love this hamburger, and I could say I love my wife, but at the same time, I think there should be a clear distinction there. I hope you love them very differently. <laughs> I yeah, exactly. Um, this is and, and the thing is, is that they have four words for love. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we got quite a few as well, actually. <laughs> um, but it depends on how you count it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so sorry, we're. Where uh, where were we? <laughs> well, I, I had asked actually. Um, uh, John introduced this uh, this question from uh, from Andrew Clark. Thank you again for that question, Andrew, uh, or that that observation. Uh, but but I was had I was asking uh, Epicurus if if he happened to have a a response to my uh, my my point about if you say of God that that he is good uh, or is goodness, then you cannot merely predicate goodness. Of him as a property, um, and, well, and is well, that a property? Is that well, a problem on. for? I would I would say there's a there's a bit of a response there. It is true to say of something that it has the property of being itself, and so to say God is good is to say nothing meaningful, sure. but it is not in a, inappropriate. You could say that. Yeah. You could say God is good, but you would not be conveying any information. Right. Um, it's a truism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's no, not an informative. You're, you, in other words, you could you would literally not be informing any, uh, anyone of anything when you said God is good. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you've defined God as being good. Exactly. <laughs> right. Usually, Aquinas would probably posit some kind of uh, notion of analogy where you just use things analogously to God as opposed to property. For example, if I was to say that, um, if I was to say that Ozzy, if I was to say um, Ozzy was as smart as a fox, if I was speaking literally. That would just be insulting. But if I'm meaning it in an analogous way, of course, I mean something far different than what it means to say that uh, he has the precise intelligence of a fox. Well, I've met some pretty some pretty clever foxes. <laughs> I, I've always maintained I'm smarter than the average bear, but, but <laughs> only the average bear. Only the average. <laughs> there are, yeah. there are some exceptional bears out there. Yeah. So I would I would take it as. Pretty, whenever you say God is good, God is holy, these are analogous things, not necessarily proper 
uh, things of property. And that's that's yeah that's fine, but 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 again, we're we're we are talking about the the properties here. We're we're talking about yeah, the good itself. I, I know, yeah, but that, I'm yeah. just I'm just sure you're uh, explaining I'm that that semantics though. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm curious to to follow up on that. I mean, um, is is the good isn't the good just a property? The even just even if it's moral good, isn't it a property of an act or a thought or an idea? Yes. Um, but, so so in what want, way but, but, could the god? I mean, the god can't be the property itself, right? Yeah. Um, well, so they're arguing that it could be though. That's that's. He, well, it it occurs to me that I mean that if he is the property itself, doesn't he remove any power? Of enacting a change, right? I mean, there's no. How does how does a property of something enact a change in the thing itself? Um, he would be he would be removing himself from any possibility of enacting uh, any sort of any sort of maximizing any sort of goodness, right? Wouldn't that be counterintuitive? I mean, yeah. it almost removes uh, any sort of sentient from the from the equation. Uh, I I couldn't hear the last part, John. Could you repeat that? A bit of a cut off. Yeah, no. I, I, it sort of removes the sentience from the from the equation. Like you, he doesn't have a choice anymore. He he is forced into being the property that we call goodness, no matter where our subjective uh, judgment comes from. Right. Um. It it seems like if I decide that's good, uh, morally good, then that is to me the property of God. But it doesn't. There's no way for me to verify that is what I'm saying. There's no way for or, or for him to maximize the goodness after the after the fact or even before. Do you, uh, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Um, no, I, I, I just don't I don't understand how a god can be considered goodness. Goodness could be considered his nature and his property and the property that he has. Well, god is technically his nature on this view. Uh, in terms of God is everything God is. Right, but but uh, if he uh, if it, if it is his nature and he's all powerful, why is he not maximizing goodness? If that's if well, that's but the, but you would argue uh, that he is maximizing goodness. In terms of this relates more to how does he interact with the world, or how is um, how does he how does he interact with the world, and how does the world relate to God? These are uh, good questions, and I'm not trying to just blow them off, but the uh, but. It's only trying to solve the ontological discontinuity, uh, the ontological problems. I'll say that these are these become harder to solve. Uh, that's uh, for sure. But um, the question is more more about on the ontology of good or what is good as opposed yeah. to uh, how the in specific interactions. Now, as a consequence, that would be harder to explain. I'll fully grant you that. Mm. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. I, that was my only question. But but yeah. thanks, man. All right. Uh, do you guys want to move on to the Mawson one, or uh, did well, did we want not want to talk about the other horn of the dilemma? Um, I think Mawson. Uh, this is this one tries to break the horn, but uh, f first we went to the. Uh, I believe the first one was uh, the second horn, wasn't it? Uh, Mawson's is the first horn. This is, is trying true? to break into the third Wait horn. A yeah, for anybody who's been watching uh, or is watching now, um, the two horns of the dilemma. Just to recapitulate, you, you, we have one is divine voluntarism. That's the the idea that goodness is contingent upon God's will or His His nature. Uh, so that which is good is good because God wills it or commands it. Um, and the other is that goodness is an independent moral standard. It's independent of God. It's it's not contingent upon God. Um, so God is good, but it's because he conforms to that independent moral standard. So that's the second horn of the dilemma, which we have not really talked about yet. But that's what I we're talking about. That's where no, we're going. I don't think that Mawson really does that. He does try to, to break it up. And I, yeah. Uh, so 
I, I, I don't think we're going to get to that quite yet, but we, we could talk about that before if you'd like to. Um, oh, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a stake in it. I just thought we spent a lot of time talking about One Horn, and I thought uh, that um, Eddie had some thoughts on, on the other one, but I may, maybe I'm wrong. It seems uh, like Christian theology kind of rules out the second horn. Oh, we're going to... No, God not... Died. Yeah, not really. Um, I mean, some some Christians have have, have insisted that that God is uh, that there is a moral standard that actually transcends God. Uh, but I mean, a lot of people don't like that because there there's these problems. Like, it, it's for, in the minds of some Christians, it sounds a little sacrilegious. It sounds a little there's a problem of sovereignty. You know, God is somehow subordinate to a moral standard that exists outside of Him, um, and um, I mean, I think you could get around that particular complaint by arguing that God is has a deterministic mind and that he would never change his mind, and so he may create this thing, but he wouldn't want to change his mind. He he couldn't change his mind, uh, and there's no there's no problem with that. But that is if you give up on 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 God having free will, which yeah, I think... yeah, you can't right. Uh, but but some people have. I mean I mean some theologians have said no. God doesn't have free will. He can't have free will. I think Epicurus was saying that as well. If he's a necessary yeah, being. I know of a theologian in Canada who actually has a scientific background who actually pro who proposes uh, this notion. He doesn't just believe we're all determined. He believes even God is determined. Yeah yeah. Um, you, you have to say that, don't you? To say though that that all of his commands are therefore necessary, don't you? Uh, or am I am I misreading that argument? Uh, for the first, oh, for the first one I came up with, yes, I would propose that. I mean, if I were, yeah, if I were a Christian, I would probably believe that, but that's that's beside the point because I'm an atheist. The other, well, it's always good to give to think in that mindset, you know, if not just for uh, your own uh, your own uh, philosophical practice or or uh, your own uh, sure. practice in just trying to problem solve. It's always nice to just go on the other side and see what they might say. Sure. That way you're always prepared. Yeah. the the other uh, there are other issues with the with that horn of the dilemma that of of God, of of there being a, a a divine moral standard outside of God. So we mentioned sovereignty that somehow, you know, God doesn't you know uh, is subordinate to this uh, this um, this moral standard. Uh, this. Uh, is connected to his omnipotence, right? I mean, you know, his he's not omnipotent um, if uh, if he if he has to obey this thing, and of course, if he can't disobey it, like if just it's part of his nature that he has to obey this this other standard, then of course he loses that that aspect of moral free will. It doesn't mean he doesn't have will, and that he can't decide to do this or that. I mean, you know, you know, whether I scratch my nose this way or scratch my nose that way. There might be no moral consequences either way, so I have free will. I can do that. Maybe God can can do this thing or that thing, and, and it doesn't have any 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 moral consequences. But if there are if there are moral implications for any action, then God always has to do the moral thing. So his moral free will would be robbed if if there is a standard of goodness outside of of him that he has to obey. And and the other thing is. Um, I mean, one, one thing that one reason atheists like to sort of push for this horn of the dilemma is it means that well, if if there is a if there is a standard of goodness outside of God, then at best God can merely report or relate uh, information about the good, but he doesn't he's not necessary for the good. He doesn't you know uh, we we could we could apprehend in principle we could apprehend the good independently of God. His commandments would be merely reportage, telling us about what what's good 
And and uh, there's an interesting possibility, though, and that is rather... I mean, w one thing is he could create a standard of good that he then conforms to. So he would be necessary for its creation, and maybe even necessary for its maintenance, but we need not even consider the existence of God then to know the good. Um, so it, it would even be possible, even, he, even if he did have to exist for the good to exist, um, it would still be possible to, 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 to be good without... Uh, God, in a sense. It might not be possible to know the good, but you don't have to know the good to be good, necessarily. Uh, you could stumble across it. Um, I, I, uh, no, I think I agree. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely um, a hesitancy for theists to embrace the second horn, because it, because it steals so many of the omni uh, properties away from the, from the deity that, that, they, that they believe in, right? Um, well, I mean, once you start kind of getting into that, well, I mean, morality must come from somewhere exterior to God, or, or he's just reporting what, what the morality is. Yeah, I mean, he becomes very less than necessary for, for the act of goodness itself. And, and, I mean, you're right. I mean, he, he also becomes limited in his power. I mean, he can no longer change what goodness is. And that, that, that becomes a very uh, a difficult thing for them, right? Um, it, any sort of limitations to God's power seems to have uh, big implications uh, for, their, for their worldview, I think. Uh, actually, there's a, an interesting twist on this. Uh, Gibran uh, mentioned that, that uh, God could create um, the good and then be bound to it because he, you know, he, he'd set up this standard. But that implies that he could have perhaps created a different moral standard. Not if you also accept my proposition that he's deterministic, though. No, no, if he's deterministic, but then, he, then he's subordinate to some deterministic principles or laws or something like that, and then you've got the problem of divine sovereignty again. He's no longer sovereign and omnipotent. He's, he's, he's subject to something. Well, I mean, I would argue that, that no conception of God with, with omnipotence being completely unbound is coherent. I mean, to argue that God yeah. could do something that is and that isn't, he wouldn't be omnipotent if he could do that, or if he couldn't do that, but well, he can't do that. I mean, it's logically impossible. So I would, I would argue with the theists who would say that he cannot do anything logically impossible and that he cannot do anything that is not in line with his nature. And so to say, well, it, it would not be to say that he couldn't do something immoral, more that he wouldn't do something immoral. Uh, that he would never yeah. desire to do so, and that omnipotence refers to his ability to do whatever he wills rather than, than, than whatever. Yeah, it's always tricky when, 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 when you try to sort of uh, sort through this. Uh, someone, a, a being that can't do wrong and a being that never would do wrong. Mm. You know, you know, you can imagine a being that can never do wrong. Well, that doesn't can never do wrong. Okay, I mean, it's 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 kind of a moral robot. It can only do the right thing. You know, um, it's, it's a good robot. It's Better Lieutenant Commander. Yeah, it's Lieutenant Commander Data. You know, um, but you know, if you um, if you if you imagine that 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 God can do wrong but never does. Um, then that that's going to rub some some people's uh, theological intuitions the wrong way because they want to say no God could could never do wrong um, so it, it depends I mean um, I mean if it, if it were me I would just say yeah of course God could do wrong but he wouldn't yeah uh, but some people want to say no he's so good he couldn't even do wrong and I don't think that that's a better I don't think that's a more moral God or a better God. A better God is one that of course he could do wrong if he wanted to but he won't because he's good um, and 
but but some, for some this, people that's not good enough. <laughs> I think this leads Literally. to a really interesting question, which is to say, um, is there a difference between could and would? Uh, and and I would argue from the position that no, there isn't. Anything that that could happen did happen or or does happen. Uh, to switch tenses a bit there, um, to say something could be is to say that it must be. If something isn't, then it mustn't be. That would be what I would argue. But but again, we're talking about within the context of one world, not all possible worlds. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, everything that happens in a world has to happen in that world for it to be that world. But when we when we talk about what could have happened, we re, we are in a sense talking about across possible worlds, imaginary worlds. We're not, I we're think not imagine, we're. I think there's a really big distinction we have to make between the epistemic could, which is to say, I didn't know that it could or, or didn't happen, but and, and the ontological could, which is to yes. say, it actually could have happened or couldn't have happened. And I think when we're talking about God's uh, uh, omnipotence, when we're, we're talking about that, we have to talk about the, the, the ontological could, not the, not the epistemological one. Yeah, uh, it, that's going to take us into some... Uh, heavy waters. We don't have to right now, though, <laughs> obviously, but I'd, I'd love to have this conversation in the future, because this is something that really interests me. That's a really cool subject, actually. Yeah. Um, cool. So, yeah, I mean, uh, maybe let's get into uh, the Mawson dialogue here before before we sure. get too far off, off track. I just, I just kind of want to, I'm looking at the time here, we're, we're about an hour and a half in, so we're not too bad. Um, sure, uh, so... Basically, Mawson, T.J. Mawson. Um, Eddie, could you give me some background information on this guy? Um, I did a quick Google search, but there was just too many uh, T.J. Mawson. No, actually, so. this. No, actually, this is the first time I ever heard of him. Um, yeah, it wasn't weird. until uh, you guys invited me on to do the whole Euthyphro thing, where I was like, hmm, I better look at some possible answers, just in case you want to discuss that av avenue. And this was one of them that uh, I came up with. Sure. Yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting. But I, there's, there's, um, I mean, there's, there were some grammar problems that I saw right away. He, it seemed like he maybe needed an editor, editor a little bit. Um, but, but what I, what I would have said um, is that, I mean, he seems to just basically deny that it's a dilemma at all. Um, is, is his answer to the, to the solution? Oh, uh, apparently, um, according to this, he's a University of Oxford professor. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oxford, you say? All right. Well, um, okay. So here's, here's his basic. Uh, rejection of the of the of the youth program. Um, he says, "Reject. We are going to reject Socrates' either-or way of framing the question, saying instead that something's, or that something God wills, or some things God wills because they are good, and other things are good because God wills them. And uh, and then in the in that way, we only need a way to justify the mechanism for recognizing each one. Um, and I, I think I I understand what he's getting at. Um, there is. There is something to that. Uh, actually, that was sort of, that was actually Aquinas's view. Um, uh, Aquinas believed in this sort of concept of, of natural law, uh, but he also believed in, in uh, divine command theory. He, he sort of he straddled both of these. He thought that there were some things that um, were were intrinsically and necessarily good that that God had to command. But then there was lots of things that God commanded that that are good be just because God commanded them, you know, so God said, you know, um, no, I don't know, oh, uh, you know, honor thy father and thy mother, you know, <laughs> you know, he, you know, when he, well, actually, no, he would have said the Ten Commandments were actually, net, no, I'm wrong, think, they are, he would have said the Ten Commandments were, were the ones you had to. You might be thinking of, I'm not sure myself, but I think you might be thinking of John Dunn Scotus. Um, he, no, I don't think it's Don Scotus. I think um, he, he, I, he also made a similar proposition where he said uh, the first uh, half of the commandments were 
were necessary, but the other half, God could have willed it the other way. Uh, something along these lines. Oh no, uh, I, I know I, I know Scotus, but I what, what I'm thinking is um, Aquinas held to uh, this doctrine of natural law, but he he also uh, believed that there were, were some things that were were morally uh, obligated to uh, to obey because God commanded them. So there were some things that were uh, morally necessary. Uh, uh, and that God had to command those things, and He does command those things. But there are some things that are right only because God commands them. So, like you know, worshiping on a certain day or something like that, or so perhaps some some uh, some some specific ritual or something like that. Uh, you know, when when God commands Abraham take take your son Isaac up to uh, Mount Moriah, you know, um, <laughs> Abraham's got to do it. Um, you know, uh, because of divine command here. When, when, when God orders you to do something, you are morally, morally obligated um, to do it. But he also believed that there were things over and above that mm -hmm. that you had to uh, uh, to do uh, and that God himself had to command because they were necessarily, they were just intrinsically uh, uh, morally good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm sorry, I did I did have to go get some water there briefly. I think my, I, maybe, did you, did we talk about the, the, did someone give a summary already of the, of his point or? Um, um, yeah, I mean. Yeah. That, okay. That. All right. Excellent. Sorry. Um, the I think my major problem with it is that he's actually not just arguing that that God must have commanded these things. He's arguing that they're logically necessary. He says, "Oh, torture is necessarily wrong because putting someone in agonizing pain is necessarily wrong." And why is that? Because we defined agonizing pain as being bad. And in doing so, he begs the question. He says, "Oh, well, it's necessarily bad. Why? Because we define it as being bad." Okay, that's that's fine. But we, we, we're, we're, what we're looking for is not uh, – if, if we did define it as being bad, then yes, it would be necessarily bad. But the question is why do we define it as being bad? What makes it bad? What makes it good? And that's where I think this, his entire argument just falls to pieces is that he does not address the dilemma. He, he talks about something else, I think, but I could be wrong. Well, sure. I mean basically – I mean, Can I ask a question here? Sure. Okay, uh, I asked this question for uh, well, two questions really, because I haven't read this paper. Uh, first of all, could someone just uh, say what the title of T.J. Mawson's paper is? Uh, yes, it's um, the Youth of Rodilemma by T.J. Mawson. Oh, okay, that's easy to remember. <laughs> nice and simple. <laughs> uh, the uh, okay, so now if I understand, uh, John, from what you said, T.J. Mawson is suggesting that the, uh, the the way out of the problem is to say uh, with with Aquinas. Um, there are some things that God commanded uh, we have to do there and they're morally uh, good and, and, and obligatory because God commanded them and then there are other things that that are necessarily and just intrinsically right yes um, and he argues that they're logically necessary that, that, that there's no. no logical way for these things to be right or wrong and that's okay but how is that okay now I haven't read the article but like that just seems to me that he's open to all of the objections to both horns of the dilemma. I agree. I think it's a terrible argument, honestly. Sure. Okay. Well, let me let me see if, Wait, I, can, if he, I can clarify. Did, I mean, does he not address that in the paper? Like he he no. kind of he does a little bit. So let's let's just just go through here. Um um. He basically gives the example of the truths of logic. Uh, he says that not even God, in His omnipotence, needs to be able to alter the truths of logic. Uh, so, so he shows that things Wait, which you God repeat wills. Could, could you repeat that? I need to be clear on what he said there. Yeah, not even God in His omnipotence needs to be able to alter the truths of logic. The, okay. 
that I think the mistake he makes, though, is he then says that, that the truth of our definition of, of agonizing pain as being bad is itself a truth of logic. Uh, and I think this is just a basic mistake that he's making. He's, uh, he's no. mixing it, it up. No, no, yeah. he, he, actually, he actually goes a little, a little deeper into that. I mean, he says agonizing pain is bad unless it's for a good reason. Uh, he says that. But there, there's, another, there's another point here. that he's, um, He says all substantive moral truths as opposed to conceptual necessities depend on God's will for its creation. But this does not, after all, have the counterintuitive consequences that we must say that God could make torture good. Because God creates the conditions where torture is good, then it would be good. But if, but it would no longer be torture. Um, so, so. Oh, I understand what he's saying there. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Understand. He's God is setting the conditions, but he's also so he's setting the conditions, and then he's constrained within those conditions. Um, and it was kind of what you were saying earlier, Gibran, about about the the idea that he could be creating it necessary for the creation of the of the limitations of good, but but could operate freely within them. Um, yeah, yeah, and the problem is that's, that's accepting that there is a good outside of him. That, that is to say that these things are good regardless of him, but also to say, well, and he also can do things. He can, he can change the, the conditions of reality. I can do that too. I can do exactly what God can do from his point of view. I can, I can change the conditions of the reality around me so that one action may be good. I can set up a situation in my life where lying to someone is good. Uh, or that it is bad, and in the same way, in this, God is doing it on a much more fundamental level. He's setting up the laws of physics, etc. But, right. but I can make an action good or bad by changing the the surroundings in the same way that God can. Not to the extent that He can, but in the same way. Um, and and in that sense, He's basically saying, well, God is, but but He's still making God beholden to this moral standard. Yeah, yeah, no, no, so but that means he's subject to only one horn of the of the dilemma, though. The, he's subject to the problems with one horn of the dilemma. Um, just okay. So um, to be clear and make sure I understand this, uh, what we're positing here, uh, according to Moss, and is that there there is a God, um, and He creates the world. And uh, having created the world a certain way, I mean, given the kinds of critters that we are, and uh, the kind of world that He created, you know, uh, you know, we're not immortal beings. We can suffer pain. We can be frustrated. Uh, things like that. It follows, given the kind of of, of world that he's created, that certain things will be wrong. He could have created another world. He could have created a world where we don't die, where we can't feel frustrated and we can't feel pain. And then, of course, you know, if I poke you with a stick, well, not that you know, you might, you might, that might register in you as a, as a tickle, and that might be a good thing. But in our world, if I poke you with a stick, it's it's uh, it, it's it's horrific. Right. Um, he actually you know, comes up with so an. Uh, he has an interesting nope. um, uh, example where he he talks about game design, and he says that um, if if there was a game designer and he creates a game with only four pieces, and then he could never make a rule that said that there must be six players and each one must have their own piece. Uh, right. That it would be impossible for him to do that. But he can set ahead ahead of time the constraining principle that cheating will not be allowed. Right. Um, so he's in that that's way he sets the. That's just a rule that says the rules will be obeyed. No, right. but that's okay. That, that's yeah, okay. But that, that, what that means, though, is that, that all of the of the be consistently applied. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so and so then then the, the the goodness ultimately comes from some objective standard external to him, um, and there are some orders that he. I mean, try to imagine a god that creates a world like ours. Um, where we can feel pain and die and suffer, and then cre he creates a world wh where beings have a, are much more angelic. They they can live forever. They don't suffer pain, or you know, you can you can do things to them, uh, you know, trip them up, and they just don't experience frustration. It just doesn't bother them, you know. Um, you know, uh, the 
what constitutes right and wrong in this world and in that world are going to be very different. Mm -hmm. and, and it's by virtue of the world that he creates that he creates wrongness and rightness in one context and a different set of rights and wrongs in a different context in a different world. So that, I think, I think he does get out of, I mean, if I understand correctly, he has solved one, one, one problem there, one, one whole sort of uh, uh, set of dilemmas associated with one horn are solved, but now he's still left with the problems of the objective moral standard. That he's still got the problems for that. Does he have anything to say about those? Uh, he, he argues that they're, I mean, logically necessary. I think what he's trying to do is get out of it by saying that, well, necessarily something that is an agonizing pain is bad, and his justification is that it's defined as being bad. That, I think, is where it, it, the problem yeah. is. Um, yeah. I, I actually think he, his argument, I, I agree with you that his argument about, about God and 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 the the many worlds that he creates. That's a fair point. I I I can I can get behind that. Um, and I'm I'm sure Leibniz would say that uh, that uh, that that he created the best of all possible worlds for us to live in. Uh, right. Um, yeah. And, totally. Yeah. And, and, and I mean I I can accept that actually. But um, I I the, the problem is it's it's not getting around the dilemma. I mean it's accepting it. That's he he presents it in 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 a, I think a way that's a bit misleading. Well, no, but I th think he does solve. He does solve half of the dilemmas there. In other words, the um, the, the divine command, the, the divine voluntarism, uh, uh, horn, uh, ceases to be uh, a a problem there. Um, he set up the rules um, a a certain way. Um, he knows exactly what will what the, the what the consequences will be, and and and, and he can you know. Uh, there, there won't be a problem there. There, there won't be the same problems um, because there's no, there doesn't have to be, uh, there doesn't have to be any arbitrariness. Sure. Um, there, there might be arbitrariness, but in principle, there doesn't need to be. No, sure, sure, but but he doesn't he doesn't solve the 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 fundamental problem of of what the good is. He doesn't address the the real yeah. concern that we have. I mean, I think I think he would try to outsource that to another. Uh, I think he would try to outsource that to another. Um, a uh, form of moral uh, thought or idea, maybe uh, maybe yeah. using another school in tandem. That may be fine, but he ends it by saying, "And thus the Euthyphro dilemma is solved." Um, yeah. Without <laughs> actually having solved the dilemma. Yeah, it's a little it's a little presumptuous, I would say. But um, uh, philosophers, okay. well, at least maybe philosophers tend to speak for themselves. Uh, there is one uh, interesting, just to give an example of that, there is this one interesting exchange where. Uh, Daniel Dennett and David Chalmers were. Uh, Den Dennett was doing an interview and he said, "I've solved all of Chalmers' uh, objections to uh, why quality exists, but he's still persistent in doing it anyway." To which Chalmers said, "I've never said any such thing. He might have solved them to his own satisfaction, but not my own." Sure. But don't well, worry. Uh, I think I, I think talked to Dennett about this privately, and now he subscribes to substance dualism. Sure. Well, I, th I think here's where where Mawson goes wrong, um, and where I think he completely loses his his shit, uh, uh, to put it. Uh. Pardon my French. Um, so uh, he says of God, he says, he had complete freedom over what, if anything, in the universe he was about to create. And uh, it would insubstantiate the concepts of agonizing pain and torture, and hence over what, if anything, would be bad in virtue of doing so. Having created the pieces, people in this case, this entailed that certain things would, of logical necessity, be bad, like lying, for example. Having created people as humans with the contingent physiology that humans happen to have, this entailed that passing a certain electrical current through their bodies would always in itself be bad, and 
as it would always produce agonizing pain. Uh, not natural, uh, then he puts in brackets, natural law-violating miracles aside, which is something which in itself is of conceptual necessity bad. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a mouthful, but basically he just says, God could have created anything, uh, but he created it this way, and so that's why he's constrained. But he can change it if he wants. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, but I mean, I see the sense in that. Really, all he's doing is he's offloading, and, and, and this is okay, this is a legitimate move. What, what he's saying is, look, the, all of the sort of the, the problems of one horn of the dilemma, the, 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 the divine voluntarism, you know, God, God says it's this way and it's going to be that way. He created a world a certain way, um, and given that it's created that uh, certain way, certain things are going to be right and certain things are going to be wrong. But, well, wait a minute, what, what makes them right or wrong? Oh, well, what ultimately makes them right or wrong is something prior to um, to uh, what he created, um, uh, certain things uh, having to do with logic um, and and um, uh, certain conceptual considerations, um, conceptual implications of things. Um, like, for instance, maybe maybe one of these things is that you know cruelty or su and uh, is wrong or needless suffering is wrong or something like that. Um, in, in which case, if you created a world where there's plenty of suffering, but it's not it's not cruel, done cruelly, or it's not needless, it's necessary, you know, for some greater good, like, you know, you know, that this is the best of all possible worlds, or something like that, then he's off the hook. But but then but then it seems to me he's got to address the other objections and problems with the other horn of the dilemma. That's still left unanswered. D does he not say anything about that? Other uh, than to say that they're necessarily bad, he just leaves it at that. Um, well, you know, what makes them necessarily bad? Exactly. That's that's yeah. why I was unsatisfied. I mean, I don't think he makes a bad argument for what he's arguing, but I think that he, in arguing that, believes that he's arguing a bigger point, or at least presents it as such. Uh, and I don't think he f succeeds in arguing the bigger point. Uh, I don't think he succeeds in completely doing well with the dilemma. I mean, he accepts one side of it, but doesn't deal with the consequences of it. Uh, that's that's why I wasn't satisfied by this. Yeah. Um, again, I would argue that the ultimate question isn't actually is God or is goodness rooted in God or is God rooted in goodness? My my, I think the ultimate question is what is the good? Right. Um, mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be like he's just he's just kind of moving the the arbitrary nature of goodness one step down, right? Um, he he almost sets the limits uh, for God and then and then gives God free reign to uh, break any limitations that that he's he's once set. Um, so it's 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 interesting having it both ways, but I, I don't I don't necessarily think that he um, that, that's a very logical position to hold. I would say. I, I like the game analogy though, like, because I I've made this argument myself, this same argument. That that's why I was able to talk about the, you know, imagine another possible world where God has created creatures that don't feel pain and can't feel frustration and can't die. Morality would be very different. Right and wrong would be very different in that world. Um, and, and so my argument was always, look, God, having con created a world a certain way, right and wrong is decided for him. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to sort of then lay out any new commands. Mm -hmm. The commands all, you know, what right and wrong just falls out as a byproduct of having created a world a certain way. Had he created a world another way, different things would constitute right and yeah. wrong. Um, and I've, so I've used this argu uh, uh, argument myself. I, I, so obviously I think it's a good argument. Um, but because um, you know, because I like my own arguments, I I wouldn't be making them if I thought they were bad. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, it 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 beggars the. Uh, uh, but here's the the point I want to make: a god in such a position uh, is in the best possible position to recommend moral actions. God could, for instance, say, "Well, look, you know, I don't have to tell you every right and every wrong, but here are some ten here are ten commandments, and here are some maxims, and here you know here's my son, for instance, he's going to model a good way of living." And this will be the best possible approximation against the widest possible number of cases for how you should live. And if you can emulate those things, you'll be coming as, uh, you know, that'll be as good as, as uh, the best moral advice I could give you, short of always telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that, you know, so that God doesn't have to whisper in our ears at every moment what, 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 what the right and wrong things are. He can give us sort of the best heuristic possible. You know, here are Ten Commandments. Uh, here's this book. Uh, here's this life of Jesus that that should be normative and that you should emulate. Um, uh, but boy, there's still that whole other problem left over. Ultimately, you know, what is it that makes it the case that when he makes a world a certain way, that it's certain things are right and certain things are wrong. That is still all left over unaddressed. Yeah, it seems like he do he doesn't really address the consequentialism that he's sneaking into his argument here. Like he's he's saying uh, it's it's bad to pass electricity through a human body because of the agonizing pain it would cause. But but he's but I'm sure that he would he would suggest that it, it's right to pass large amounts of electricity through someone's body if they're having cardiac arrest and that would and they need defibrillation, right? So he clearly would agree that it's the consequences of the actions, and yet and yet seems to think that the god is is he's he he, he posits that the god is responsible for the conditions that that yeah. the consequences exist in. It, yeah, so uh, right at the end here, um, he, he says that the answer to the question of why that thing has the goodness or badness that it has is that it does so because God has willed it to do so. Now, I mean, tense shift uh, aside there, um, he's basically just saying that it, it, it's God's will. That's that is what makes things good. It, it's it's almost continuously. So it's almost like he's not splitting the horns itself. He's just he's just dictate. It's it's a uh, it's still the the morality from authority um, in the end right I think and I think you're right he doesn't really address the second horn of the of the argument he, he kind of makes a feint at it and then sort of uh, kind of patters around it but I don't think he really actually addresses it but no, but when he talks about uh, sort of the divine will mm -hmm. it, the will the, the will happened when he created this world. In, in 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 willing the world to be a certain way, that because of certain other reasons outside of him, that dictates what is right and wrong in this world, right? In other words, there there are factors outside of God that dictate that if He creates this world, this will be right and wrong, and then you'll have to issue these commands. And if He creates another world, these other things will be right and wrong. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Cool. Well, I think we we uh we have a few questions here from uh some of them are a little less than uh topical, but I'll try to I'll try to get get through a couple of them here. Um where is it here? Uh but doesn't that make them a property of the physical world or evolution or equally as probably as being created by that process? Um I think he's talking about the the notion of good and bad. Um it it, it seems like Mawson's arguing that that it is kind of um it, it's a result of the physical world and thus contingent on it. Um, well, yeah, it's it's not it's not a product of evolution. The thing is, is that evolution is itself a product of the laws of physics and the initial starting conditions of the universe. And so, 
uh, as, presumably he's accepting a deterministic worldview, and so he's saying that we can derive everything that will be from that. And so God knows in advance what will be uh, what will be this thing or that thing. I mean, we're again getting into the the distinction between the epistemic could and the ontological could. And I think he would argue that that, that we're talking. He's talking purely ontologically could here, not not epistemically could. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, or okay, vice versa. Uh, sorry, sorry, I misspoke. I, he, he wouldn't say that it ontologically yeah. could be another way. They, they, we couldn't tell that it couldn't only be that way. And it's, it's, this is complicated stuff, unfortunately. This yeah. <laughs> is where we get into really deep cool. waters. Okay, uh, J.D. Wiley has one here. Um, is it necessary, if one would agree that God is good, that the nature of that property, among other things, would be the absence of that which is not good? If that is the case, would a being then be limited in the labeling of omniscient in that an all-knowing being, all-knowing being the catch-all that would include the knowledge of things not only that are not only not good but also the experience of doing such things, or would it be arguable that the possession of such qualities is internally consistent with God being goodness? Yeah, I mean, it would only be, it would only be, be bad, he would only be doing, I mean, it, it wouldn't be bad for him to know what the bad is. It would be bad for him to do something that is the bad. If knowing what the bad is is itself bad, then yes, it would be. It would be a problem right. there. Um, I think I heard Dark Matter. Um, he, uh, he uh, one of his characters goes up to heaven and asks God, it, you know, if I can tell you, if I can ask you one thing that you don't know, um, or show, show me one thing that you don't know, uh, will you let me get into heaven? And God says yes. And uh, he says, Do you know what it's like to want to? to snort cocaine off the ass of a hooker. Um, it, and yeah. that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, uh, does God know the desire to do something that is bad or well, they wrong? Can, well, well, they us, can, well, God's a mind reader, yeah, and presumably yes. And that leads to the question, uh, what actually is knowable? I mean, is an experience something that can be known uh, or is only a fact about reality something that can be known? Um, if a fact of reality, if, if my experience of reality is itself a fact about reality, then yes, it can be known. Um, but this gets into some, again, really murky water, um, unfortunately. It, I just, yeah, I mean, I feel like it does sort of um, destroy the idea of omniscience when you are restricted to being good or bad. Uh, it, depends you know. on how you, it depends on how you would qualify right. what is the bad. Uh, in a lot of the classical theistic sense, from going to Aquinas and even to Augustine, uh, something that was bad was considered a prevasion. So, for example, the classical God could not tell a lie, because to tell a lie is itself a weakness, not a, a specific strength or ability. Like, uh, for example, to uh, a lie is technically a prevasion of the truth. The truth is something in full and substantiated, yet at, yet itself would, uh, yet a lie in its very nature would be the absence thereof. Yeah, I just to, to clarify a little bit, uh, the word privation means like to be deprived. Mm -hmm. So right. so lying is, is a privation, a, a deprivation of truth. So, and that, that, that's, that's not a good thing, that's a bad thing, that's a shortcoming, that's a failure, that's, that's, that's not a positive quality. You know, so, um, you, you're, um, you you are not uh, you know dark dark darkness is is not a positive force it's a negative force it's the mere absence of light um, and so um, you know to, to say that uh, God has the quality of, uh, of of knowing something he can't know he can't know ignorance but that doesn't mean he can't know what um, um, he, well actually let me let me back up let me just say instead 
a it doesn't follow that a a being only knows something if it's experienced something, right? I mean, there's um, God could, for instance, uh, know what it's like to sin without having sin, simply because he can read your mind. Um, what he can't know is of himself what it is like to sin. He could know what you know. He can know what it's like for you to sin. He can know what it's like for you to sniff cocaine off the ass of a hooker. But he can't know what it would be like for him to uh, sniff cocaine off the ass of a hooker because that isn't like anything because God could never do, do such a thing, would never do such a thing, uh, and so God can't have knowledge of that. So God could know uh, of, of you what it's like to uh, lust, uh, have lust in your heart, but God doesn't feel lust in his heart. So he, can, so he can know of you what it's like to have lust, but he can't know of himself what it's like to have lust. So there's no knowledge that you have that God lacks. Uh and, and that's, that's where this dark, dark matters example is, is trying to sort of suggest that I can know things that God can't. Well, yes, you can have experiences that God can't, but you, he can know of your experiences, he, but, but he can't have those experiences himself, uh, but that would be a different experience. Yeah, to say that he could know what it would be for himself to experience that thing would be to suggest that he could know something that is unknowable because there is no answer to the question, what would God, what does God experience when he wants to sin? Well, God doesn't want to sin. God could not want to sin. So it is, it is asking a nonsensical question. It is not an object of knowledge. Well, I think, I think uh, Dark Matter was getting on to the desire. I mean, what's it like to want to and and I think I think in that way it's it's interesting to I mean to want to do bad if God is goodness how could He want to do bad? Um, no, but but God God could uh, know of you. Oh yeah, I guess so. Right. That what it's My like experience. to want to do bad, yeah. right? He he knows all about your experiences, right? He he can he can read your mind presumably, right? What he can't know is of himself what it would be like because he can't want for anything. But right. but, but you yeah. can't say well it's a shortcoming of God that he can't want something. Well, no, it can't be a shortcoming that he can't want something, right? Uh, if I mean, it, it, that he can't know what it's like to want something, it is not possible for him to want something. Therefore, he can't fail to know what, it, what, what is not a possible object of knowledge, right? So God's omniscience would, would, uh, would only be called into question if there was an object of knowledge that was a real object of knowledge, and then he didn't know that. But God knows everything that is a, that is knowable, um, and so He could know of you that you have lust in your heart and and, and desire something. And, but He can't know that of Himself because that's God doesn't want anything. You don't have anything. Uh, you don't. You 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 can have knowledge of, of things about yourself, and He can know those things. But He can't have um, th that knowledge of Himself. He can have it of you, though. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um. Uh, I hope that answers your question, JD. Um, yeah, it's a hard question. It's an issue. It it's is. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, um, I've never had so much fun talking about snorting <laughs> cocaine off hookers' ass. I well, it's a, I think it's a good example. Um, only only because um, it's something that you could you could see someone wanting to do, um, but would clearly be known as bad, right? Um, or or referred to as bad by most people. So it's. It's a it's a poignant example, but uh, but not necessarily very edifying. I I, I admit.
Well, I, did I not hear Eddie say he hasn't had this much fun since he snorted coke off? No, 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 no. <laughs> talking about talking about snorting coke off, it's still it's still Eddie. That's that's very odd that 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 just pop comes up in your in your uh, your casual uh, how conversations. How often do you do you talk about this? Yeah, <laughs> or or is that precisely the point that he's never talked about it before, and so this yeah, is also exactly. the worst time he's ever had talking about it. Well, it could it. also be the best, or it could be the worst, but eh. or both. <laughs> or both. Well, the next time I'm pretty sure it won't be as good. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to let you know now that I, I have to go pretty much right now uh, and head out, so uh, if you want to, we, we could wrap it up in the next few minutes, or you guys keep talking and I could just leave, uh, either one works for me. I, sure. I actually have to leave very shortly myself. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think I we've kind either. of, we've definitely brought a lot of uh, threads together here, guys, and I, I, I uh, you know, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll stop and just uh, thank you guys for, for this, these conversations. They have been um, absolutely amazing. Here, I'll try John? to turn on my camera for a second. Yes. Uh, John, before wrapping it up, uh, could I make a suggestion? Uh, could I'd actually like to know your perspective on this, but I would say Divine Simplicity would be the best option myself, but on your opinions, which if you could make one suggestion to the theist on which one of these options to go with, uh, which would you uh, suggest? Hmm. That's, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I like the idea of Divine Command Theory for its, um, its simplicity, right? There's this... Um, there's this, there's this overall idea. I mean, if I had to choose, um, you know, uh, goodness is loved of the gods, and and it has to be, there has to be a cause for it, or or, or we're trying to determine the cause for it. I th I would say that the dilemma could be solved by divine command theory, so long as you're willing to accept that goodness is arbitrary um, and and not set, uh, and and maybe unobservable to yourself. Uh, and I think as long as you're willing to accept those those three things, you could kind of um, see that as, as the best option for the dilemma. What about you guys? Well, I'll, I'd go with the other horn. I, I think, I mean, it's hard. I mean, you know, to, to say, you know, if you were, what advice would you give to a theist? Well, it would depend which theist I was talking to. Um, Fair point. You know, uh, I mean, some, I mean I, 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 if I were a theist, I'd be the kind of theist, I think, who'd want to to argue that, that um, you know, there's a creator God, let's say, and that he's personal, uh, he, that is, he's a being, he's a, he's a person, uh, he has a mind, he has a will, um, and he has, maybe has some divine plan or something like that, uh, but I would want him to be uh, the kind of God that um, doesn't just arbitrarily uh, uh, decide what is right and wrong, and I don't know any, any version of divine command theory that gets around the the uh, arbitrariness problem. Um, so I would want a god to to be one that just does what is the good and re faithfully reports what is the good because God being omniscient uh, is in the best possible position to know what is the good and you know could not being good himself could not fail to give me the best possible advice. So that's sort of the way I would go if I were a theist. Um, but I mean that that's just going to rankle with uh, you know against some people's uh, theology. I would agree with Aza here. I think it would probably break the back, though, of most theological interpretations of God, though. Uh, I, it, is, it is what I'd also go with. Uh, I mean, I would honestly probably have a much easier time being a polytheist than a, a monotheist here. I think that Plato has a much easier time... It ha, is in a much better position to solve this problem uh, because he doesn't insist that his God is... is, is, the, the, is not only the ultimate example of this, but also the provider of it. Um, 
so I, I would probably be a polytheist, is my answer, um, or, or someone that didn't believe in a, in, in a sovereign god. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question to kind of posit it to atheists to, to ask what, what, their, what the best solution is, because, yeah, I mean, I, I clearly um, agree kind of with the second horn, right, as, as an atheist, so uh, there is, but, but, I, but I think the first horn has a lot of a draw that atheists could find, um, and, and a, a ways that they, could, that they could kind of find a, a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, it would, it would be, they could justify it uh, fairly well anyways. Yeah, the divine command theory option. One 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 of the things that's most attractive is, is, um, they, they, it translates into instructions, uh, and that moral knowledge can only come from God. They don't have to second guess God or figure out. You just obey. You know, whatever whatever the, the instruction book says, or whatever your religious tradition dictates, is what God wills. That's what you've got to do. There's no, I've got to try to get behind this and reason my way and see what, you know, you don't have to you don't have to do that in principle, um, because really all that counts is what God wills. So I think there's a, you know, a, a, a tremendous attraction to divine command theory um, for a lot of people. It doesn't attract me, but I I can understand why it's attractive. Um, so, uh, so I, I think next time we have this hangout, I'm gonna try to do one on Friday talking about Anselm's ontological argument, and by then it will be named, maybe Sophia ex nihilo, or maybe Philosophers, or maybe something in between. Uh, I'm leaning towards Sophia ex nihilo. That's that's my preferred one here. But uh, we'll. Uh, yeah, it's a good not, one. <laughs> I think we should probably call it that. So next time it'll be named. This will be the last unnamed of these discussions. I feel like a Latin title is going to give us a lot more uh, st- uh, credibility on the street. <laughs> yeah, I think some library cred more like it. <laughs> University oh dear. <laughs> let's not ki- let's not kid ourselves about credibility. We're just four guys talking. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, does this mean you're hosting it next, Gibran? Is that correct? So the plan is that I'm going to host uh, a discussion every Friday, and John is going to host one every Monday. Um, and, oh wow! And this is because John doesn't can't really commit to hosting more than one a week, uh, and I have a shitload of time on my hands, so I'm willing to take yeah. up. And, one and, and every... absolutely, I mean to tell you the truth, I mean we're getting we're getting so much kind of interest kind of generated and people who want to get in, and, and so many smart people too. So it feels like I mean we almost should kind of allow people. Uh, the opportunity to get in on these panels and, and interact as much as possible. So I, I'm I'm all for more more things, but yeah, my, my work schedule right now is not really uh, it's it's not set. So I'm I'm very I'm very hesitant to, to offer to host all the time. I I I think that John is a fantastic host, and I would love I to have him host too. everyone, but he doesn't have the time to do it. So I'm gonna try my hand, and I'll be honest. Friday might be a complete disaster, <laughs> so be prepared. Ah, just no just delete the video if it if it, yeah. if it all goes to pieces. <laughs> exactly. you know, this is this is the internet. It's uh, you will you will not be the first nor the last uh, yeah. disaster uh, put out on uh, probably on Friday. So indeed. All right. Well, just just as a warning to everyone, it's not going <laughs> to probably be the same quality. <laughs> sure. So so Gibran, I, d- I definitely will try to try to make it out to that one. But I like like I said, I'm not I'm not sure about my schedule. Uh, is anybody else lined up who wants to do this? Because I I mean I. I I, I would enjoy yeah, that because I, I I like that one. You can't do Friday or? Oh, I'm down for Friday. So. Oh, great, good, good. Sure. Uh, I love the ontological argument. I love Proslogian. I love Saint Anselm. Uh, I I I had I had the privilege of teaching that, and I loved teaching it. It's a really cool argument. Um, most people who criticize it criticize it, it for all the wrong reasons. 
Um, and so I, I think it's unbelievably ingenious. I, so, actually, I actually said it was better than planting as uh, ontological argument. I agree. Hmm? Uh, I don't like the new mo I don't like the modern uh, modal versions of it. Uh, Bring it old school. Well, yeah, Ozzy, yeah. you're 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 absolutely invited. Uh, I have now invited five people uh, with you, Elijah. I also invited Elijah, but he he said that he's not going to be able to make it. So oh, okay. uh, I think that means we're down to five. There's one person not here who I've invited. I don't know if she is going to show up though. So we might be four. We might be five. Um, I think we can try five. It's not the norm. That's not the, the the standard I want to set in general. But like five is, we can try it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's about the limit, though. Like once you get too many people, and you know, we've, yeah, John we've kind of been four. Yeah, we, <laughs> we've been win. discussing it. I think I think if you get above four, um, you kind of have to have someone who's going to willing to kind of sit in the background sit and back, not yeah. add in too much. Um, and, and in that way, you know, I'm I'm happy to do that also. If if uh, if you require someone just to just to sit back and. Uh, you know, maybe weigh in every once in a while, but but I'm, I'm happy to be an alternate for you guys, and uh, just let let me know if you need me. Well, I think uh, I think we can we can try it out and see how well five goes. I mean, we might have the right combination of five people. I think if you had five Aussies, uh, or <laughs> that, that would be a problem. Heaven forbid. Um, it'd, be a, it'd be a bloody battle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> people interrupting I, each other, <laughs> talking endlessly. <laughs> and and I, I I have a similar habit of speaking too long and interrupting too frequently. So as no, long as no. we don't get too many of, of us uh, in there, it, it could probably be fine. Cool. A few more Eddies is what we need, I guess. Uh, yeah, yes. Eddie. Eddie, you are you're you have to be commended for like your ability to just. Patiently wait your turn. Yeah, Eddie, uh, I, I'd love to. I'd love to echo that sentiment. Um, I, you are. You're definitely one of the more uh, patient theists I've met. Uh, and you're. And you're. You're an amazing guest to to come on here with three atheists and yes. uh, and take our take our kind of questioning and a uh, very very uh, skeptical um, eye to your to your solutions and things like that. Um, thank you so no much for for your interaction, man. It's been awesome. Yeah. I thank you guys for your generosity and uh, your hosting capabilities. Oh, cool. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's probably it for Monday then. Um, I have awesome. to see all the viewers on so, Friday. So, philosophers uh, depart, and or... uh, Sophia <laughs> Ecknilo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We can still be the philosophers. Exactly. No, it's fine. Yeah, we'll just we'll just call each other philosophers casually, and then <laughs> so, so we maybe we'll just get some jackets made or something. <laughs> all right. No, yeah, I think you mean uh, tights. Well, obviously. But, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'll uh, I'll I'll end the broadcast, and we'll uh, if anybody wants to talk afterwards, we can. Thanks, guys. Okay. Good night. Bye -bye. Good night.